0: Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Friday, April 25th, 2014. That's right, we are back again with another interview for you. We're going to be talking about a game that is on Kickstarter right now that you can go out and enjoy. And I've got two people with me this evening, so this will be a fun little interview. Who is on Google Hangout tonight? What's up,
1: everyone? It's listening, hopefully? Uh, I'm Matt Riddle, one of the co-designers of Fleet and uh, Eggs and Empires, and that also is...
2: Yeah, how you doing? This has been Pinchback, the other half of Fleet and Eggs and Empires, and uh, some other cool games coming out later this year and early next year, so good to be here tonight.
0: So, of course, we will be talking about Eggs and Empires as we uh, have this conversation, but of course, before we get there, guys, I got some warm-up questions for you to get this uh get this little interview started. So, are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Ready to go? First and foremost, uh let's start with uh what do you guys do for uh, employment besides design games?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, designing games is a very lucrative business. I know. So, <laughs> Um, so, me in time, your spare
0: though, time. As, yeah, in our yeah, spare yeah. time.
1: We actually both work for the same company. It's a defense company. We make large metal vehicles that shoot stuff. So, it doesn't suck. We're both engineers. <laughs> I'm mechanical by trade, but I do mostly program management now. Ben does more true mechanical stuff. So, I've known Ben since we were kids, particularly middle school, elementary school. We just kind of ended up working at the same place after college. So, it's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, it was kind of random. We we all, a bunch of us went to the same college, and then one of our friends got a job at the company we're at, and he actually really liked it. So slowly we all left our jobs we had and kind of migrated to one that where the guy actually liked it. And now we've been there about 10 years or so, and I mostly spend all day modeling parts in 3D, you know, using like SolidWorks or Pro Engineer Unigraphics. That's kind of how I make my living most days.
0: Nice. Yeah. So then what makes you guys geeks?
2: gaming mostly for me i think we're the same story as a lot of people we found settlers you know six eight years ago played that for a couple years straight and then you know next thing it was puerto rico power grid agricola you know and uh i think that's that's the main thing for me i mean i like movies as much as the next guy but i'm not like a movie buff or anything i i think mostly uh i used to play a ton of video games growing up in college and early 20s but Since I kind of had a lot of kids, the, uh, the video games is kind of tailored off. Unfortunately, I do love them, but it's kind of a time thing, you know, mostly, mostly tabletop gaming these days, actually.
1: Yeah. Pretty much me too. I mean, I, I, you know, I do watch a little bit of like, you know, my only real TV shows that I watch regularly are the, uh, I guess adult cartoons on Fox, you know, the uh, Bob's Burger and Simpson family guy. But otherwise I still do read nerdy dragon and wizard novels pretty much daily. And play tabletop games, otherwise just baseball and kids. So it's hard to, uh you know, I, I love video games, and I, I every now and then I'll dive into. I haven't played like a really long, like just dive into a video game because I I, I rarely have time for more than you know a half hour, forty minutes, maybe an hour at night after the kids after my girls go to bed. So it's hard to dive into something. So I played like you know, Skyrim, I think, but I didn't get anywhere, <laughs> so I kind of quit that. But it's since that I've been playing mostly uh, old school adventure games because you can kind of you know. put some stuff in your inventory, play around a little bit, save it, and come back and do it like four days later and pick up where you left off. So that's kind of been my video gaming of choice the last year or so.
2: Yeah, it's actually kind of sad. We were, back in the day, we were huge uh, Guild Wars players. I know a lot of people play World of Warcraft, but we were kind of into the Guild Wars because of the no subscription or whatever. And like Guild Wars 2 came out and we all bought it and got really excited. And then none of us really played it. It was just... it was. So sad, you know. We just don't have the time or the energy to stay up till two in the morning and then go to work anymore. (laughs) Unfortunately.
0: Oh yeah, and you throw in that kid factor, and yeah, you you, you really don't want to stay up too late, (laughs) or actually,
1: you want to. (laughs) Exactly. I always say, kind of jokingly, but because kids are awesome, but like everything else about your life gets worse. You have like less money, less time, less sleep, less video games, less sex. I mean, less, less everything. But it's totally worth it. The kids are great. You definitely have to take a step back. With everything else you used to do for fun.
0: Matt, you heard my, have you heard my uh, recent uh, attempt to get back into Skyrim? No, I don't on think I did. The, on the main podcast. It was, uh, I came back to it out of the blue because it was just mm-hmm. like, there was so much I hadn't done and, you know, so much uh, of the DLC had come out. So I was like, oh, I got to get back to that. So I, I fired up my uh, Skyrim and I was in the middle of nowhere, encumbered <laughs> without a horse. <laughs> And I pull up my map and it's like, Oh, I really am in the middle. This is why I stopped playing (laughs) because I couldn't get anywhere. And then, uh, I finally got to what was it? The, uh, that little town underneath the winter college. Yes. And, uh, it's, it's a, it's a little town that the shop owners there don't have very much money. So I was trying to sell off stuff to get unencumbered Mm because I'm greedy like that. Yeah, I sure I could drop everything, but come on, I can get some money out of that. Yeah. So I got to that town and you know, you gotta you gotta um like wait out like every two days for them to refill their pockets. Yes when you, when you get all their money. <laughs> that that town also gets attacked by dragons like every two days.
1: Oh, it does. <laughs> how did you know that town? <laughs> I literally played for like fourteen hours and had gotten nowhere. Like I hadn't taken one step of the main quest. I realize I'm old now. I want some linearity. I kind of want to be told what I'm shooting towards. Skyrim was like, "Here you go. See you in 40 hours, and just kind of like, and you're just, no, just do what that's you want to best. do." I, I I don't want that anymore. I want to be told kind of where I'm going. I literally I didn't know I wasn't working on the main quest <laughs> until I realized that I wasn't. I literally had like 14 hours in, and I think I was on. I I finally accidentally found the next city that had like, cause it wasn't even like, a lot of games have like the main quest icon. So you always kind of know when you're working on a quest that leads to the main quest. And Skyrim did, he barely, I don't know. It was fantastic. but I just, I couldn't, I was like, all right, I'm out. But yeah. I just quit in the middle of whatever I was doing and never went back. <laughs>
0: did either of you guys ever play Ultima Online? No. Okay. Cause that, that's my big thing for, uh, Skyrim. I always say, if you just let me put a, if you just let me put a vendor on my porch, that would be an awesome replacement for Ultima Online. I used to play Ultima Online all the time and it it was, uh, you could put a vendor on your porch and just sell stuff off your, you know, random players would come by and buy stuff off your vendor. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like, just let me put a, just let me put a vendor on my porch in Skyrim. And it's a perfect replacement for my old Ultima Online days. <laughs> all right. One more warm up question here. Besides the uh, geek related stuff that we've already kind of talked about. Do you guys have any geek level passions for things that other people would not consider geek related? Uh,
2: other than sports, pre-kid, I was pretty big into music. I played guitar, guitar and bass, you know, my whole life pretty extensively, actually. But the last four or five years, that's been a little bit on hiatus just because I don't have the time to practice and rehearse and, you know, kind of do the whole thing. That's, that's kind of a lifestyle. So that's, that's been on hold, but I'm still passionate about it. Just. Haven't actually done anything about it in the last couple of years.
0: Sports count too, by the way. Excellent. You said other than sports, but that's like our biggest example is uh, when when people aren't sure what we're talking about. It's well, you know, because I know people that are so hard into fantasy football. Oh yeah. That there's you know you'll tell them that they're geeking out about it. And they're like, no, 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 no. And just, I always go, show me your your sheet. I'll show you my character sheet. <laughs> and when, which one of us is talking about it more
2: yeah yeah that's the golden rule of fantasy football no one cares about your team stop talking about your team <laughs> but yeah, we're pretty big into that too we are actually in a matt and i are in a dynasty league we've had since college so we're going on over 10 years of like 30 man rosters it's it's pretty fun if, if you're not in a dynasty format Uh, you should definitely do that if you like fantasy sports. Agreed.
1: I would say the easy answer probably would have been if you'd asked me, and I keep bringing up the kids thing, but if you'd asked me six years ago, it'd have been fantasy football probably, Mm -hmm. you know, because again, but as your free time shrinks and you decide what you're going to do with it, a lot of it has shifted to board games. So I, my fantasy football time is pretty limited. And to be honest, also because I've gotten zero at work. And so I used to, you know, not at this company and other companies, of course, (laughs) I would start a little bit at work and download sheet projections, all that kind of stuff. And like you said, it's just like a game. I mean, you're just reading stats and making guesses. But since then, I mean, really, board games took over a lot of my free time. And then, like I said, the other stuff I do do is part of the same stuff I've always done. A little bit of video gaming, like I said, I, I love the classic point-and-click inventory management adventure game. So I play through those as often as I can. And then I still do read. Actually, I'm rereading. I don't normally reread things, but I couldn't figure out if I'd ever actually read anything past Pitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the Douglas Adam you know, It's got like five book series he wrote on that. So I bought the Omnibus and been reading through that. So that's kind of... I still do read a lot of the nerdy fiction.
0: Okay. Let's see. Where should we take this conversation? You know what? Here's an easy one. You had said that basically you guys have known each other forever. You guys have kind of been friends forever. So how did you guys come up with the idea to kind of start designing games together?
1: Go ahead, Ben. Uh, I like your telling this better than mine. Yeah.
2: Well, basically, you know, after a couple of years of Settlers and Puerto Rico and all that, we had... I've you know, been playing a lot, and one day driving into work, I just decided, you know, I have this idea. It turned out it wasn't actually an original idea, but it, it still worked for our game. I'm going to make a game with cards that do multiple things, you know, <laughs> multi-use cards. It's crazy. No one's ever done it. We had not played Glory to Rome and all these other <laughs> games that do it, you know, better. But so I came into work and just told Matt, hey, uh, we're designing a game now. <laughs> like, I didn't ask him. <laughs> you know, Matt in our game group is my arch nemesis. Like, I... I don't really care if I win, I just wanna beat Matt. You know, if there's an attack, Matt is getting it. If there's any spite element, it's going to Matt. Yeah. <laughs> like we're we're we both do win a lot, but we're kinda of arch rivals. So I just knew you know, we've known each other over twenty years. He he's the best gamer I know. So I'm thinking if I'm designing a game, I'm doing it with that, it's not a question. So I never asked him. I just came in and said, Hey man, we're designing a game now. So <laughs> okay, what do you got? And that's about how it started.
1: It, it really was. I mean, it's funny because, I, you know, I'm not just fluffing him. I see him all the time. I don't need to be next to him. He really does win. And I mean, 70% of the time, like when we play in our, and our group is good too. It's a, it's an engineer. You know, we're a bunch of engineers. We're very A-type. We play a lot of, you know, the heavier Euros, not not like the long Euros, but like the, you know, the plus Euros, I'd call them, like a one to two hour, you know, Puerto Rico, Hanza. Um, endeavor, all those, you know, those really meaty, fun heroes. And he does win most of the time. If he's not there, then I'm probably going to win. <laughs> so I, I like him when he's not there sometimes, but, um, it's definitely, it was definitely that. I mean, when he asked me, or when he stated that we were doing it, I had never even considered it, to be honest. I mean, we had, you know, one of the other things we kind of talked about, like in the original designer diary was that we were after Ben's original idea, sort of inspired by a little bit of race from the race for the galaxy and that I can remember having this distinct, conversation. And again, very, you know, if you can imagine four engineers having just played race for the galaxy first time, second or third time, and we're just basically having a good time, but very analytically breaking it down, you know, and, and almost negatively, if you didn't know what you were listening to, but we were complaining because I went military and I never saw Emperor Palpatine and the other guy went green and never saw that's that military buff six power card, you yeah. know, level six card. And then the other guy went green and never saw any of the same things we were just kind of generally. Breaking the game we just played down in that as we began designing fleet, we sort of thought about that. And that was one of Ben's original ideas was, you know, which turned into the auction or maybe was the auction to start about have everyone having a chance at these quote unquote good cards. It kind of just spun from there. I mean, it was definitely, I, it was eye opening. I mean, I've, I'm not, I've never been a creative type. I don't, I'm not a guy. I don't, you know, I'm, never, I'm not a painter and artist. I'm, I'm an okay writer actually in small amounts, but I've never really had a creative outlet like game design has been. So I, I really. It's been so awesome. We've done this for like, gosh, three or four years now, and all because Ben decided we were doing it one day, and
2: it's awesome. <laughs> well, and bringing Madden was the best thing I ever did because I've never finished anything in my entire life. I'm creative by nature, but I'm the guy that's excited starting something. Like when I was big into music and you know songwriting and stuff, I probably had twenty really good starts to songs, but never actually finished anything. <laughs> that's kind of my that's my M.O., is, you know, get excited until I get distracted by the squirrel, you know. <laughs> so bringing in Matt was phenomenal cuz not only is he a great designer, but he's also got the energy to finish and to see things through to the end. So, it's it's pretty good. We're I mean, we're both good at certain things, but we're also really good at what the other guys maybe not as strong at. It's kind of it's kind of cool that way.
0: So, Ben, you drew Matt into game design, but what specifically gave you the bug? To want to design a game versus just continuing to play games.
2: I think it's it goes back to I'm you know the creative nature. I'm always kind of breaking things down in my head and thinking like you know that was fun, but but maybe I didn't like these couple things about it. If you know if I did it, here's what I would do different type of thing. And I, I'd always had the bug to redesign a game, but just never sat down and started. Like I've, I've wanted to redesign Risk. 15 years and make it more of a tactical movement based with maybe a hex grid and almost like a chess risk you know hybrid and I, I never actually sat down to work on the game but I thought about it all the time going college and stuff and I don't know what made me just think one day that we were going to do a card game. It, it, maybe it was that couple games of race we were stewing over and breaking down in our heads and just thinking like, you know, hey, maybe we can do this. We can, you know, we can do a different system and fix the things we don't like. I don't, I don't know. I, I wish I knew what I had for breakfast that more. I'd have it more.
0: <laughs> so uh, it sounds like, I mean, you guys, even when. Playing games yourselves, you're you're pretty serious overall, and, and and kind of analytical about it at times. From the beginning, was it we're designing a card game to be out there for the masses, or was it we're uh, going to design a card game to, you know, like you said, fix these things that we saw, but you know, basically for us and our friend and our group to play. You
1: know, I think Ben and I have talked to this actually quite a bit, and everyone's a little bit different, and not everybody wants to have their thing played, but I think we immediately decided that we were going to go, you know, the whole point was not on the outcome of the, of the design process and seeing your, you know, your team, so to speak, come to fruition, but to get it published. And that's not because we need the dozens of dollars a year that comes in from it or anything like that. We don't. But We're both very, <laughs> you know, duly employed, good engineer jobs. So, I mean, it's, but I, I guess I don't understand. And this may be my, and this may be like Benson, maybe why I tend to be good at you know, sort of the the, the push through and the finishing things i like to have a purpose with what i'm doing and i i mean i can just enjoy myself i can lay i can i'm you know i can hang out and not accomplish anything but if we're going to spend all this time what's the point if we don't do something with? It? and there's going to be we, we have designs that we abandoned because they weren't good enough or we've had designs that maybe we showed good publisher or two and didn't seem to really get any steam we put, put away but we definitely I, I would never even consider doing it if it was just to sit on and play with our buddies we actually oddly enough We don't make our buddies play our stuff a ton. I mean, they they're willing, and we will we'll do it, you know, occasionally. But the reality of it is, we only play board games, you know, about twice a month or so. We every other Thursday we have we have this awesome deal at work where we get our every other Fridays off. So on the Thursdays before the off Fridays, we go to our buddy's house and play board games. But because we only play twice a month, we don't want to play our stuff. We want to play the new cool games, and we want to play. Uh, you know, stuff that we played before, we don't have to teach any rules and so we play our stuff together and we do blind testing with people, you know, outside of the area, but you know, we don't really we don't beat them over the head with our design. So I I don't think we ever considered anything but taking it to the
2: publishing path. But do further talk about the question i think we did make the game that we wanted to play like when we were designing and making decisions we never on on fleet at least we never really made key decisions based on oh well you know that'll sell better versus this or whatever we we pretty much were just making the game that we wanted to play And, and the thought was you know we we've played hundreds of games by this point and we felt like we had a decent grasp on what would make a good euro card game so the thought was if we really make a game that we love and that we're enjoying we're just going to hope that some of the people that love these other games you know really dig what what we develop and that we want to play and thankfully that turned out to be the case yeah i think that's i will say i actually think one of the things that made fleet and i think
1: we still try to do this but just we were just talking about this a couple weeks ago actually if we you know say it's the old if you knew then what we knew now kind of thing i think if we had overthought it at the time there's things that we did in Fleet that make Fleet what it is and make Fleet, you know, different and unique that we probably may not have done if we'd overthought it from the publishing perspective. Because there's a couple things that you know that about Fleet, like it's a little harder to pick up and things in it's but it's that's actually worked to our advantage because it's been a gamer's game. And I think some people overthink it and they try to design things that are gonna be popular, but you have to design what you want to play and hope other people want to play it too, and it's worked very well. So
0: You guys have the uh the advantage of knowing each other forever and being actual friends. And you've talked about some of the qualities that you each have that kind of complemented each other going into it. But sitting down and actually attempting to design a game as a partnership, how did you guys come up with the process that you were going to use to make sure you both have input, make sure you guys weren't butting heads, all that kind of stuff in the early days?
1: I don't know that we ever... I mean, like it, it was easier for us because we've known each other for a long time, and we don't spare feelings. Like, if anything, I always, you know, joke on that Ben's overly harsh, so sometimes I have to put something in front of him a couple times to get him to even acknowledge it sometimes. And then vice versa, you know, he—he's very just absolute that this must be a good idea because it was his, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure I like that idea, and but then maybe he'll end up being right. So really, the key is neither of us are gonna fluff the other guy for no reason. We're not going to lie to each other. We're not going to be nice for the sake of being nice. If the idea is stupid, I'm going to say that idea is stupid. I may be wrong after we try it, but I'm going to tell him from the front, I don't like this idea, I think it's dumb. And he's going to say the same thing to me. So it's just a matter of, and it's easier said than done because, again, we know each other for a long time, but you just have to be honest. You don't have time, I and mean, we meet once a week, for two or three hours, depending on the night, and we play our stuff and we talk, and we talk at work a little bit, and we try to get together at lunch sometimes, just to talk usually. But you just have to be honest. You have to just say, listen, I don't like this or I do like that. And you have to be willing to try it anyway. And you can tell pretty quick if that idea isn't good or not. I mean, you can usually tell within a few minutes or plays that, you know, a few hands or whatever that it's not working or that it's working. So just don't dance around the bush. Just tell the guy good or bad, what you think and keep going.
2: Yeah. And I agree with that it would be tough. Like, you know, we met a lot of designers just like us at umpub and different cons lately you know it'd be really cool to work with some of these guys in the future but I'd be really nervous going in because I haven't known them 20 plus years like I know Matt and I just feel like I you know even though we're kind of friends and whatever I I would feel like I'd be need to hold back and not be as blatantly honest as me and Matt are with each other and I just it'd be really hard starting a new relationship like that on a new game because like Like Matt said, we definitely are not like, you know, work PC with each other. It's like, if I don't think his idea is good, I'm just going to let him know and try to save us some time. And if he's persistent enough, you know, to beat me down to finally try an idea and then we do and then he's right you know that's that's just how we kind of operate and it will end up you know it's not uncommon for us to be yelling at each other and whatever but it's all it's all fine we once again when you you know you've known somebody 20 plus years that's the kind of working relationship you can have it, it'd be a lot harder frankly you know if i was just gonna say hey hey, TC petty or you know uh, tagmar let's design a game together i would love to work with those guys but I don't know if I could be as honest with them, or if they would appreciate, you know, my honesty like that. And I'm sure they'd say, "Yeah, I'll be honest," but it'd just be pretty hard, you know.
0: Yeah, like I said, you guys got a, a nice ad- advantage in the fact that you have known each other for quite a while, and and you, and you guys have that connection already. Not only that, but living in the same state and working in the same place. All I mean, all of those little things that other people have to overcome early on i mean i had uh robert burke and richard lanius on for draco magi and you know these, these are i mean they they met and they played the game together and then they were working together but i mean they had all of that so you know it's like you know time zones and everything i mean <laughs> you know let's let's work only through skype and I've i've talked to other people that have done that as well so you guys at least get past that little hurdle and can get right into it
2: I mean, it would be really cool someday. You know, I, frankly, I really have no interest in designing something without Matt, just because we got into it together. We go to all the cons together. It's it's fun. Like. I'd- You know, swimming in my own money vault just doesn't sound like fun. We've kind of we've done it together, but I wouldn't rule out you know me and him working with somebody else on Skype sometime. I think that'd be a lot of fun. You know, I don't have a problem. You know, if there was a third person that wanted to Skype in, and I don't know if you guys follow Eric Lang on Twitter, but he's always like, oh, oh, Skyped with Bowza, and you know, it's like every cool designer ever. They're Skyping together and they're just doing all these games over Skype and stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I I actually I I do know Eric, but I can tell you right now, Eric probably does not remember me. Okay. (laughs) It was back when uh, I used to booth monkey for fantasy flight, and Eric and I, you know, that was when he was big in doing primarily fantasy flight stuff at the time. And we actually shared a hotel room, but it was like us and like five guys in there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I will never, and again, it's easy for me to say because I make a good living, but, you know, like Ben and I, you know, share a room, and his brother usually crashes, and maybe we'll let one of us sleep on the floor, but like we're going to, well, I guess I can't say yet, but we we ha- will have an announcement in a couple of weeks theoretically about a game signed with the company, and the offer would be there for us to, like you said, kind of booth monkey with them. I'm willing to give them like half a one day. <laughs> like I'm not going to Gen Con to work. With them. I'm not going to Gen Con to sleep on the floor with four other dudes, and I'm I'm not willing to like you. Can, you're not buying my $80 badge so that I can not have to pay for a hotel room. I'm <laughs> like I go to work every day so I can afford a hotel room where I get a bed. And well, yeah. I get to go to Gen Con to play a game. I mean, it's fun. I get it. I know it's just not my. You know.
0: Well, no, here I mean, here was the deal: it was uh, I. I was actually not going to Gen Con that year. Sure. And they approached me at the last minute, and I just happened to be able to get the time off. So at that point, they were like, they they drove me out. So I I drove with them. They paid for my badge. They, they cool, paid yeah. for my hotel, all that good stuff. So I mean, it was like it wasn't on my radar to begin with because I I I was not going. I mean, I knew I was not going. But then they're like, hey, we really need the extra because that was back again when Game of Thrones was a CCG. So I helped mm-hmm. demo Game of Thrones and help run the tournaments for Game of Thrones uh, that year. And, you know, it, I mean, it was a it was a cool deal. It was, uh, you know, Fantasy Flight was just um, they weren't quite at the, at the way they are now. They were just getting ready to go over that hurdle to be the huge monster that they are at Gen Con now. Yeah. Stuff. So it was cool. And then the other, the other thing you talk about sleeping on the floor. This is, uh, I don't remember who all was in there, but basically nobody wanted to share a bed with anybody else. So me and <laughs> Luke, we basically said, look, there's enough room in each of these beds. If somebody wants the space, but we're going to be in them. So we actually got our own beds all weekend long while the other three or four <laughs> guys slept on the floor because nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to cuddle that weekend. <laughs>
2: Nobody wanted to call your bluff.
0: No. So it was, it was awesome. It was just like Luke got a bed to himself. I got a bed to myself and everybody else was on the floor. And that's the way it was all weekend long. So really, they drove me up there. They put me up, gave me my own bed and paid yeah. for my badge.
2: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I got a rule. I'll share a bed with my brother. And that's where I draw the line.
0: Well, I'm getting ready to go to, um, Protospiel, Michigan and cause, uh, Matt Warden asked if I would do the road trip with him. And of course, Matt's a good friend of mine. So I, I cherish any chance I get to hang out with him. And, uh, he just sent me a message the other day. He's like, you're, you're for sure. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've got it all worked out. I just got to get the time. I just got to tell him I'm taking the time off at work. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to talk to the other guys and we're going to start talking rooms. I'm like, don't talk rooms, talk whatever room you guys are going to get, but I'm probably going to get my own room. I, and that's just kind of the way I, it's like, One, I'll probably bring all my stuff with me and be editing. Two, I'm the lightest sleeper in the world. Like, I can barely sleep with my (laughs) fiancé because she wakes me up all the time. So, I'm not going to share the room with, like, three other guys because I will get no sleep all weekend long.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we're hoping to do at least a day, maybe a day and a half of that ourselves. Yeah, you moved to
1: Chelsea, which is a little farther. Like, Ann Arbor was already an hour. Chelsea's like an hour and a half. But we'll definitely get down there for, I would hope, it was a Saturday.
0: Yeah, I was kind of bummed. I wanted to go to the milwaukee one that's the one i went to last time and did a little special for and uh it just happened to follow my on-call week this time around so i had to miss it and i wasn't planning on the uh, michigan one but again like i said matt kind of said hey will you take this road trip with me and i was like oh yeah because again it's matt he's he's my buddy i I, and i don't get to see him very often even though we live in the same state
1: (laughs) got it (laughs) what did he just he just didn't sign
2: something to somebody. H- happy, Isn't Mitten. With happy Mitten, right? Aether Magic. Yeah, it's called Aether Magic. Aether now. Magic, that's what it is. Yeah, yep. Yep, 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 yep. Where are they at with that? What's the schedule?
0: Uh, I believe they're just at. I mean, they're they just took it to the last proto spiel and we're pretty happy. I think they got a few changes out of it from there, if I remember right. But they, uh, I think they, I mean, they they're pretty set with everything and they're pretty much ready to push forward with it. It sounded like
2: excellent. Yeah.
0: So yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's a great, I've, I've played every iteration of it up until Happy Mitten took it over and I've loved every iteration of it. So I can't wait to see what they do with it.
1: Cool. That's what it was. I knew it was something Aether Magic because we, you know, obviously the Happy Mitten guys are, they're not local to us. They're across the state, but it's definitely something that, uh, you know, we follow those guys. They're great guys, listen to the podcast and stuff. So cool. Good for them. I, so I assume then they must be planning on going to your protofield as well. So I'll get to meet those guys again.
0: Yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that part, but I know right. at we least, have, know at we, least Matt we met, will be there.
1: Have we met Jeff in person?
0: No, I don't think we have.
1: Good. All right, so I'll meet you. <laughs> I don't want to say I'll meet you if I've already met you.
0: No, I don't I don't think we have. I don't remember us uh, crossing paths at Gen Con.
1: All right, sweet. I'll see your protofield Chelsea <laughs> slash Ann Arbor then. There you go.
0: <laughs> All right, so we've talked. I mean, you guys have kind of talked about it slightly but do you guys have like a a game design process that you follow now i mean you're uh you 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 got fleet and then you did the expansion for fleet now we're looking at eggs and empires and you and you're talking about that you'll have another game uh announcement in the not too distant future here so have have you guys through all of that come up with a design process that you follow
2: you know I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately with Eggs and Empires. It'll make sense when I bring it home. We pretty much have three different, three different processes. One is with fleet where I have a big idea. And I maybe flush it out 10, 15 percent and then throw it at Matt and then we start working it. And, you know, I'm really excited and driving the action and, and it goes that way. And then uh, the second way is, is the same thing, but different with Matt. And, and actually, Eggs and Empires is, uh, is where Matt started. You know, he had the big idea in his head and was kind of kicking it around at home and had it, you know, 20, 25 percent done. And, and he just came out to my house one day and said, hey, here's our next game. He was so excited about it that it was, you know, very infectious. So then, then we just worked on that till it was done. And then the third way we call stare at a pile of bits, (laughs) which is if neither of us have, you know, that that game with, you know, the super exciting passion behind it a lot of times we'll just sit there with all our prototype components and whatever just in the middle of the table and we're just kind of sitting there scratching our heads staring at it we've actually had a couple pretty good designs come out of staring at a pile of bits to be honest with you, i don't know that's kind of funny how that works you know it's different every time i guess yeah and
1: from there it's it's, you know we've said this before and i think it's true our our my I'm not it's not our best game I think it's our best game still, but probably my favorite game that came and it came from a stale, staring at pile of bits is, is actually with a large American publisher it's been going on a while now we're kind of through the couple of initial stages and waiting for the final answer and that was literally a it was two things it was we'd had this idea and I wrote a blog about it let her go on BG about kind of doing this kind of feldian sort of stuff over here stuff over there stuff over there and you know the comparative mathematics all that kind of stuff and we kind of scrapped it after about a month or so because this wasn't really so we were, we, you know, we meet regardless. I mean, again, I, I like hanging out with Ben. So it's not like it's hard for me to make myself go to his house mm-hmm. or vice versa, but we, we didn't have anything to work on. We just, we we're sitting at the table with stuff in the middle going, all right, what now? And we picked one piece of this, you know, quote unquote felled we were working on and said, that's a pretty cool piece and pushed that to the middle of the table and just started going. So immediately as we began working on it, we could tell something was there and we just expanded and built and built. And that's, you know, that it, I, the, I, what I started to say though, the whole point was that. What we do do, I think, differently than maybe some other people that I, that I think is a good thing is we go pretty quickly from idea to prototype. I mean, we're, we're building junky looking protos almost instantly because that's how we like, it's a lot of brute force. Try, try, play, try, play, try. Just do that until we like what we have.
0: Well, so that's kind of a, uh, a good starting point for you guys. I mean, you, you have these, uh, three variations that you go through to get the idea going and get it into at least a rough prototype. But as far as like playtesting and all that stuff, I mean, what do you guys do in in that realm to get it to a finished product in your mind?
2: So lately, you know, the last couple of years, we've we met a couple of really cool people from some conventions. I think our best playtesters we've met at Origins, a couple of the cabs guys, one in particular is just a super fantastic guy, always willing to, you know, try something out for us and then. Uh, Some other people we met at Unpub. So so really what it is is me and Matt will play, and we're usually we'll run, you know, two hands each or three hands each. We're pretty good at it. We'll say, you know, okay, this is, you know, I'm going to play two guys, you know, let's say it's a four-player game. I'll play one guy straight, and my second guy, I'll try to break the game, and then Matt will kind of do the same thing. That'll be, you know, maybe weeks, maybe even months of us playing multiple hands until we feel like the game works, you know, for us. And then we'll bring our buddies and make them play a couple rounds, but then pretty quick after that so we don't, you know, abuse our buddies too bad. And, and plus just to get it out of our, you know, inbred circle of thought, we'll generally send it out to, to one of these awesome friends we met for a blind test. You know, we'll write the rules up and get it out blind pretty quick as possible. So to Matt's point, we get to prototype as quickly as, as we can, pretty good at testing it ourselves to where we think it works, but then we're pretty quick to get it out to blind test to one of these really cool friends we found along the way that's willing to do it thankfully for us.
0: All right. And I love that. I got to tell you, because again, as I've had conversations off and on and there are still people out there that don't use blind play testing. And I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Well, actually I'm very sure how I feel about that. I, I think everybody should use some form of blind play testing at some point in their process. Uh, especially when it comes down to, I understand, like you were saying, the, the inbred thought process. I mean, you 100% understand what you meant when you designed a game yeah. versus somebody else looking at what you've written up and had no clue what was in your head when you wrote up what, what you did and attempting to play the game off of that. I think if anything, not only will you get other ideas, but the blind play testing process can do nothing but help your rule book write up. No,
1: absolutely. And sometimes it's not even a matter of, I mean, sometimes we do actually take game changing things from it, but a lot of times it might just be things like game length. Turns out Ben and I are fast, so <laughs> we think the game's a half an hour. Turns out it's 70 minutes if no one knows what they're doing, or if it's regular people that didn't design it. So it helps us focus on getting the game length that we want for a design, because we I think sometimes we often even underestimate the game length based on our plays. So it's, it's good. I mean, I agree with you, Jeff. I don't see any reason you wouldn't blind play. I mean, this is going to sound whatever. It's a little easier for Ben and I, right? We have fleet. People like it. It's open doors for us that not everybody has. I understand that. So it's easy for us to say, Hey, just get a blind play tested. Cause the reality is, the reality is if you aren't necessarily someone that people know, they may not be that willing to test for you, but. Meet people at cons. Meet other designers. Say, listen, I'll play yours if you play mine. Just find somebody and, and have them play it and give you honest feedback. Just, you have to. I, I think you have to do it.
2: Yeah, and I think what you were talking about, the proto-spiels, Milwaukee, proto-spiel, you know, Ann Arbor, Chelsea, and Unpubs slash, you know, there's Unpub minis popping up now. These are resources, if you're a designer, that you have to be at. I mean, it's non-negotiable because, like Matt said, especially if you're unpublished to this point, it's hard to get people that are willing to take a package in the mail and play your prototype. But when you meet these friends at these events, like these are the types of people that are going to be willing to do that. And you do it for each other, right? You know, send me your prototype, I'll send you mine type of thing. Like these these events you, you have to go to and just start networking, you know, networking and making friends at these events. Right.
0: And I I love those events as well. And in fact, the, the last ProtoSpiel special I did, we kind of tried to focus in on that uh when interviewing everybody to kind of like you know why should everybody be at one of these type of events and it even even there it's uh, i've actually sat in and helped people blind play test while they sat there i mean the idea was i'm not you read the rules and i'm just going to sit back and take notes on where you guys you know argue the most over what i wrote i mean you even at those events you can potentially get in some blind play test if your rules are at that point but like you said, I mean, beyond just that, it's the networking is just amazing. And it's such focused feedback, right? Usually there, if you ask somebody, all right, what are your thoughts on this game? It's going to be focused thoughts versus walking into a game store, sitting down, having somebody play and go, well, what did you think? Oh, yeah, it was cool. I mean, yeah, it was fun. It was pretty good. <laughs> exactly. "Oh, I liked it. Uh huh. you know, that, that dragon looked pretty cool on that one card.
1: I think on the networking thing, it's definitely, I completely agree. Like even spiel is kind of funny because I look back now and we played Captains of Industry with, with Seth Jaffe. That's one of the Kickstarters from last year. Is that the right game, Ben? It was a Captain. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we played. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because you got to see a game, you know, Ben and I got to play a game, you know, in a call it say 90% done phase that we then saw released. And then we had to meet Seth, who's a cool guy and have since, you know, met him once again and then. You know, now are Twitter friends and stuff. So just you meet cool people and you meet other designers that think like you and that are have the same you know wants or dreams, so to speak, as you. And it's, it's a great thing to meet those people and just make friends and use those resources later on.
0: All right. Uh, we're going to flip this over here real quick. But you guys touched on something that I kind of want to get out there. Uh, I mean, you guys have, have done the Kickstarter for Fleet, you did the expansion, you're doing Eggs and Empires right now, but you've got some games out there that are going the more traditional route. How long have you guys had some of those games in that process?
2: Oh, gosh. it's a, It's a long route, Jeff. I mean especially if you're used to Kickstarter and, and the companies currently using Kickstarter. Me and me and Matt talk all the time. That the one, I'll tell you how long it's been in a second. We keep saying it's worth it. Like this publisher is worth it. We want to work with them bad, love them. It's just going to be one of those things where we can, the game they have. So, so it was Origins last year. What was that, last June? <laughs> last June, you know, whenever Origins was, you know, one of the big American companies, you know, took, took this game of ours and we've been in contact here and there but there's been some gas but it's literally you know got through a few wickets but it's taken you know it's now april end of april almost may and they still are deciding you know on their their catalog for the upcoming year so a lot of these big companies you know you're talking you could be in a year or more cycle you know you got to decide if if you're willing to uh to tie up a game that long this particular game we are we're willing to wait them out we feel it's We say it's maybe our best design. You know, Matt said, Fleet's probably our best design. But if there's another game that's our best design, it's this one. And it's rock solid. It's super tight. It's exceptionally fun and clean. Under an hour. I mean, everything we wanted to do, we'd love. It it, it really hurts to have it tied up for a year. But like I was saying, we're willing to wait it out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and like I said, that's just it's one of those things I kind of want to get out there. Because one, I mean, I, I know a lot of people... That listen to this the interviews that we do are kind of in it to not only hear from like the designers and stuff but to also hear the kickstarter process but some of those people are also like i i know some individuals that are get really frustrated uh when they try to go the typical publisher route and especially that part of it is because their game is going to either get tied up or they're not going to know the exact status for, you know, year or years. Uh, you know, Chevy, the last time he was on, he's talking about he's got a game right now that they, uh, he's fine to wait out, but they told him it could be up to three more years before it hits anything. That's wild. Yeah. And so it's just one of those things. Like if you don't want to do the Kickstarter side of things yourself, and if you really want to go into the publisher side, especially the larger publishers, They're going to take their time because if it comes out from them, uh, they want it as right as possible out of the gate. Yeah,
1: I agree with you. And also, it's because they're taking a little more risk, theoretically, without Kickstarter. But I do think the thing that I, and we've dealt with both European and American companies, and I actually think the European company, the Germans mostly, do a better job of getting you through that first wicket. Like, you know, the issue that we're having, not the issue, it's not an issue at all, but You know, we moved pretty quickly through with the company, the game that Ben's talking about with the American company. You know, we met the first guy and he loved the game and he's like, okay, I'm in. So, you know, do these things. Give me this prototype. Come up with a couple of little ideas here. And then he basically clears it and then it goes to a much smaller pile that then has to go to like their, you know, their main, main couple of guys to decide upon. So that's the part that's taken a long time. And the European companies we've worked with have been much quicker to get you from send us a proto to an answer. Now, it doesn't mean that after the answer, it might not be two more years before it gets at least, but at least they're giving you a yes, no. So for whatever reason, the American companies seem to be a little bit slower on that, at least. And we had a game, actually, one of the games we just signed with somebody else that the one we were talking about earlier, you know, we had a European company, I'll just say who, uh, Yellow, who was very interested in they and they turned it around in about three or four months, you know, which isn't too bad. And they came back and said, listen... There's these things we'd like you to do to it, but they were pretty major change I and mean, we were, were willing to work with publishers, but in this case, it wasn't something we thought we could accomplish, to be honest. So we felt like the other company had shared our vision, we'll say. And the yellow was really cool. I mean, the guy was really awesome about it. He was quick. He was responsive. And then I'm like, that's companies just as big as company over here who you go months without emails from. And it's been, you know, so I, I don't know. I think it just depends on the company and. I, maybe it's because the urban companies have more guys. I don't know. But it's just it's a process. It's waiting. And I do program management for a living. You know, I'm an engineer, but mostly I just watch a little schedule. So I get it. Things take a long time, but it's still frustrating. You still get tired of kind of just not knowing. It's, it's hard. It's hard to not know.
0: Well it's it's one of those things too like if you don't want to be a publisher yourself which there are plenty of designers that don't there there are some that kind of use Kickstarter as a necessary evil because they don't think they're going to be able to get their game through publishing uh but put up with being self published just to have their game out there but there's a whole nother route uh another layer of, of individuals that just don't want anything to do with the publishing side. They're straight up designers. That's all they want to do. But, you know, you you go through this process and even though at some point it kind of does free you up to continue to design... One, it's probably sitting in the back of your head that it's still not out because you've designed this awesome, amazing thing, right? And everybody has to play this game, <laughs> yeah. And uh, no, but nobody's playing it for the last year, you know, or whatever. And so it's it's hit, sitting in the back of your head, but also at the same time, kind of like what you were talking about, Matt. Is I mean, they can come back and go, okay, well, yeah, w- we like it, but this, this, and this need to change. And that's if you're kind of lucky enough for them to get you back involved sometimes depending on how big the company is
2: well and jeff you're absolutely right and one thing you said right there is you know the thing you do if you have you know your baby tied up for eight months is you just start working on other things so it's 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 really motivating to have different games at different points in the cycle and you know me and matt don't get discouraged and you know just sit there dreaming about you know the game that (laughs) might be we just dive all our energy into the next project and let's start something else up so we've always got you know in the last four years we've always got a couple games we're actively working on and then a couple at like you know we'll call it each stage of the process being evaluated you know signed but waiting its turn on kickstarter you know development so it's it's actually really fun for us just to try to keep that pipeline full all the way from you know on Kickstarter right now to uh, working on the genesis of the idea. That's that's how we keep our minds busy, you know?
1: And it's interesting, too, because there's always, like Ben said, something else to work towards. Like right now, we're trying to polish a game up that we can drag to Origin and have something, you know, because Origins is fun. We love to go there and play games, but also it's an opportunity to talk to publishers, right? So we have a design we're working on right now called Vagan that we've been playing around with for a while, and we just had a couple of pretty major changes we've made to it over the last, I don't, a month or so and now it's like okay now we're on this almost like a little sort of self-imposed deadline to get copies out to our couple guys that'll play test for us and get feedback and get a good prototype together all for what's only about five weeks away now which is origin so it's kind of a fun so not only do you have these things you look forward to and we know we're doing this for fun so we're never like gonna completely buffed ourselves up over a schedule but it's fun to have a deadline it's fun to have a goal So right now we're kind of in that phase of getting something together that we know is good and fun and get it to show off for it origin play test at origin just all that fun stuff
0: well you know guys i could continue to have these wonderful conversations <laughs> where we're at right now but you know what this is probably a good time for us to switch over and talk a little bit about eggs and empires now so <laughs> thanks how That's about good. one of you guys just go ahead and give us your high level overview of what eggs and empires is
1: sure um, so Exit Empires is a very fast playing two to six player card game. It plays in about 15 to 25 minutes. And basically, um, it's a blind bidding game and all, but the cool part is that all the cards you need to bid with, so to speak, have powers on. So each player has a matching set of 10 cards, one through 10. and They're all different characters or different adventurers empire. And you're sending them up, uh, Ridback Mountain of all places to collect dragon eggs. Dragon eggs are VP. But the other cool thing is that VP is positive and negative. So there's good eggs and then there's exploding eggs. So each round you're gonna put VP in the middle of the table. Everyone's gonna have a hand of three cards and it's gonna be one, two, three. Everyone's gonna reveal the card they've selected and attempt to either collect VP or avoid exploding eggs because those are again negative VP. And again, the real key to the game though is that all the cards one through ten have uh, an ability. Like my favorite one to use an example is the shepherd. The shepherd's three, but his power is that three beats eight. So if anybody else at the table plays their blacksmith with eight and someone plays their shepherd, the shepherd gets to take a card before the blacksmith. So that's just kind of one of the ways the powers interact with each other. And it's a lot of, and like nines cancel out. That's the dark. Pre- so if more than one dark pieces is played, none of them get eggs. So you're constantly thinking about not only what's that, what makes the most sense to get the card that I want, but also what does that guy play or what might he play? And it's just a really fun, fast card game. We're really proud of it. It's done really well. Griffin has had great feedback. We've had a bunch of good reviews on it. And uh, yeah. It's out there now. It's only 16 bucks, so go check it out.
2: Yeah, we kind of had this goal of, you know, Fleet we had amazing feedback on, but when you open the box, it's, it can be a lot, you know, to take in that rule book and, and digest it. We really just had this dream of a card game that, it like a con game, you know, one of those games that, You'd see everybody playing it at a convention. You know, you open the box, the rules are on the front and back of a sheet. You can get up and running in a couple minutes and people just really enjoy really fast. So that was kind of what we set out to do on this one. It was just really fun developing, you know, that lighter card game that everybody could play, but still put in, you know, those decisions that gamers are still going to enjoy.
0: Yeah, and I absolutely love the idea behind it because not, That long ago that, you know, Cyrus from Father Geek and myself did a contest for a similar type game over at the Game Crafter because that was our thing. We were at Gen Con when we kind of came up with the idea for the contest because uh, everywhere we looked, you know, in pubs and, and at you know, in the uh, hotel lobbies and all that stuff, everybody was kind of breaking out love letter at the time. And we wanted to give the designers a chance to come up with something in that vein where, you know, you could pull it out of your pocket, play it quickly. And, uh, that, and that's kind of just exploded. And this fits right in that very nicely. I love the, like you were talking about the different powers on the cards. So you're not only dealing with the numbers, but, uh, what powers. And it's got that, you know, it's got that Princess Bride moment in it a lot, right? You guys have des- designed this game where it's like, well, uh, should I play my nine or somebody else around the table gonna play a nine or should I throw out my eight because somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna play the shepherd? And so you, you, not only are you, uh, mentally playing against the other players, you're mentally playing against yourself sometimes.
2: That's right. <laughs> Clearly I cannot take the cup in front of me yeah. <laughs> type of thing. You know, it's funny you mentioned the con, like, You know, Matt and I, we were proud of the game and we knew, we knew we had something, but we weren't sure what we had exactly. And we had showed it to Griffin at origins actually and they were evaluating it and it's exactly what you just said we we went out to the bar one night after gen con there was you know me matt my brother and some other some other guys and chris from you know dice hate me he'll he tell the story too we weren't trying to pitch him the game or anything we were just playing uh bell of the ball and some other games around the bar you know having fun and i just you know i had the proto in my backpack i'm like hey do you guys maybe want to play this just just for fun and we had a freaking riot you know, playing it, and that was the moment Matt and I kind of were looking at each other and, thinking, all right, I think we actually got something here. You know, this this is probably even better than we thought it was for. Real. So that was a really cool night.
1: It was, and Chris even says, you know, he he said immediately, okay, so I, I can sign this game, right? And we're like, well, Griffin kind of already saw it, <laughs> and you know, he was he was really cool about it. I mean, he actually is doing the graphic design for us, and it's one of those things too where you know, it's it's a Talking about, you know, kind of getting back into the Kickstarter conversation. It's going to be a game where we're going to end up selling probably, you know, a thousand, 1500 backers. That's fantastic. And we're really happy with that, but it'll have a life after Kickstarter as well. That's kind of the the good and the bad, I guess, probably the good really of being with somebody like Griffin. We know that, you know, that's going to sell on Kickstarter and they're going to, they're going to get the backers, they're going to get their copies, but we're going to see it at cool stuff and we're going to see it at fun again. And it's going to be at friendly local game stores. And it's going to have that chance like Fleet has had to have a second, you know, a post Kickstarter life of selling. I mean, Fleet's been fantastic, obviously. We sold out the first print run. The second print one is much larger and it's selling very well. And Asian Empires has an opportunity to be a game you go buy at the booth, you know, the, the Griffin Eagle booth and for, you know, whatever it's going to be, 12, 15, 16 bucks and play immediately. And you're going to be able to go buy it at cool stuff and play it right away. And, you know, it's, it's exciting. We're really, you know, and it, it's just, it's going to be fun to be able to see people doing that and playing like Fleet. <laughs> Fleet's amazing, but you, you watch people at a con and they're like reading the rules slowly and, Kind of looking a little confused. And, you know, we wanted, like Ben said, to have that quick, instant, you know, kind of exit gratification. So that's what Exit Empires is.
0: Well, and yeah, and you've definitely got that with this. I mean, I'll tell you, I I love Fleet and it's it's a great game. And uh, I think, well, I know Fleet was kind of when you and I, Matt, kind of became aware of each other because I remember you chiming in when it got, we either talked about it on the podcast or it got picked as a pick or something like that.
1: I think you guys just brought it up on one of the, actually on the regular podcast. Right. I'm not sure you were, you weren't doing the crowdfunding game back then yet. You kind of mentioned it as Kickstarters were looking at in one of your, in one of the main podcasts. gosh. Two years ago now, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah.
0: Cause originally we, the Kickstarter stuff we did actually as part of the main podcast. Uh, Correct. Until everybody just kind of always gave me blank stares. So I was like, okay, well, this is not the place for this maybe anymore. Yeah. Cause I was the only one actually following Kickstarters at the time but you're right in that like i i love that game but it's one that like especially if my fiance's, like had a had a long day and is tired she will glaze over immediately if we try to play fleet <laughs> but something like eggs and empires cuz you know she's she's a she loved dig down dwarf which just recently funded uh, I backed that, that that was our contest winner yep uh so that is a a great one of these quick easy type games so eggs and Empires is right up there, and it's one of those games. one of the things I really like about it is, is it's one of those games where myself as a gamer quote unquote gamer i i play a little bit of everything, but if it's something that I can get a more casual gamer like my fiance involved in it's it has that much more use to me around a gaming table. If it's something that I can play with my gaming friends and my fiance will sit down and be like, Oh, this is awesome. And it's, and you know, again, it's that quick thing. So she likes it when, when games are quick. Uh, there's not going to be a ton of explanation around. I'm, I'm not going to throw like a 20, 30 page rule book at her <laughs> or, uh, you know, look up ma- various things. So it's got all of those nice little elements working for it that I think makes this a great game thanks
2: so, you know one of our big hopes is it's just becomes one of those games you put in your game bag and leave it you know like like i'm going to bring for sale and no thanks everywhere i go cuz it's 11:30 and we could go home or we could you know play for sale for a half hour type of thing i just really hope it's one of those games that catches on and people are always just dragging around with them and you know throwing out when they got 20 minutes you know something like that
1: it's cool too because we
2: At that, at the price point that it's
1: at, even Fleet, which you know was MSRP and Kickstarter for 25, but sold for you know 17 or 18 a lot of times on like some of those websites that publishers probably hate because it undercuts (laughs) their MSRPs. But um, it's cool because we watched, you know, like again, cool stuff for fun. Again, people would be like, okay, I'm at it was even like threads on like the on the uh, recommendations for me. I have like 16 more dollars before I get to the free shipping tier of 75. So people would try Fleet. For that, you know, because, oh, 16 bucks, I'll put it in the cart. Bloods well, and Empires is going to be 12 bucks, $9 on those sites. So it's just, you know, people are, we're hoping that it gets that second life is, you know, even if it's just cart filler, and when they actually try it, they'll realize it's a good, fun game. And it is definitely a filler game in the sense of you're going to play it at the beginning of the night or at the end of the night. You're not going to play it two hours straight. You could, but, <laughs> you know, it only takes 15 minutes. And even at six players, it takes 20 minutes. It's all simultaneous. So, it's uh yeah it's it's been it's been awesome. I mean, really, it's a completely different game from Fleet. It's not, you know, it's it's obviously a different different tier of games. And it's been cool too to see people that you know kind of follow us over from Fleet. You know, people that said, "Hey, we like Fleet, so we'll give this a chance." And that's that's kind of gratifying for us as designers to see that happen. Obviously,
0: yeah, it's it's definitely one of those. That was another reason, kind of, we wanted to go with the contest is especially for people that sell over on the Game Crafter. It, it, that low price point. Makes it an easy impulse buy as well, just like you were talking about. And, uh, you, you can't go wrong with, uh, having a good game that some people will recommend and having it in that impulse buy price range.
1: <laughs> right. No, I mean, it's like, I mean, even with Kickstarter, you see that like, you know, I can say this because I love the taste of it. I don't like Dungeons and Roll all that much. It's not the kind of, it's not my kind of game. It's not made for me, but for 10 bucks, I'm going to try it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it looks cool. It's got nice components and turns out it wasn't really the kind of game I'd play ever again. But I mean, hey, 10 bucks. Why not? So there is definitely something to be said for that, that kind of, you know, 10, 12, or even 14, 15 dollar games. And speaking of like dig down dwarf, you know, the, uh, is it, uh, Jason, right?
0: Right. Jason Glover. Mm-hmm. Jason Glover.
1: I mean, he's had what four Kickstarters, all of his own designs. They, they all did okay. They all funded, but then this one blew up. I'm, I'm really happy for the guy because it seems like a nice guy and he actually backed eggs an empires and I backed dig down dwarf and you know it's deserved. The game looks fun. And this thing just blew up for him. I mean we're talking it's got, I think, two thousand backers or something like that. And it's just it's good for him. I mean, it's really like you said, sixteen bucks, why not? I mean I'll give it a shot.
2: Yeah, there's just something about that under twenty dollar Kickstarter that's like a magic price point where, you know, sixteen bucks and you're you're gonna get all the stretch goals. So, you know, depending on publisher to publisher that's probably a, you know, a five to $8 value and then the shipping and everything. So when you add it all up, you're just looking at these games. If you're at all interested, you know, being under 20 at 16 bucks it's a nice price point. I think that's what Chevy's doing pull for, right? I just bought that at 16, I
0: yep, think. He's doing a $16. Uh, yeah. It's just
2: a nice pole. number. Like, yeah. I mean, it looks like a fun trick taking game. Plus I like the guy. I mean, it's, it, that price point for me, at least it's a complete no brainer.
0: All right, uh, so you know we've kind of probably hit on this a little bit, but I like to ask this one, and, and if you guys uh, have a good answer for it, give it. But let's say somebody is checking out Eggs and Empires right now, and they're like, "Yeah, I might, I might be down for this game." What are a couple things that you would tell them to make them go, "You know what? You're absolutely right. I have to back this project right now." Go ahead, Matt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well. I, I think my favorite part of Exit Empires, which we kind of covered a little bit, is that it truly can play with your kids, play with your mother-in-law, and still play with your buddies. I mean, my my, my wife's family is just kind of being forcibly introduced to gaming via me. We played a couple of games of Exit Empires, and even the first game or so, maybe like my seven-year-old or eight-year-old niece may not have totally figured out what was going on but you know what she knew that a nine was higher than an eight and she knew that a seven was higher than this so maybe the powers didn't quite make sense but she could have fun trying to just win a car with with a high number and then once the powers resolve and you know you could realize what that was actually happening and within a round or two she got it so you really can kind of almost play the game almost without reading the cards for a little bit until you kind of get into it and you start to have fun you start to kind of just really sort of see what's happening and the game makes sense and then you immediately you can play it again because it short. So it truly has been a really good introductory game for us to teach people that may may otherwise not have played a lot of the games that Ben and I play.
2: Yeah. And I'll pipe in really quick too, just saying that, you know, everybody needs these games that are just flat out fun. You know, you spend your whole night playing Trajan or whatever. You gotta you gotta have a game for when people are showing up. A game to end the night. You you have a game that you can play at a con and teach people, you know, in four minutes. You know, back now, and here's the thing. If you back the print and play is available as a backer reward right now. So back it and print out the print and play and play it. And if it's not for you, then, you know, there's nothing holding you to it that you gotta, you know, buy it and finish it out. So, but I'm very confident if you back and you print it out and play it, you're gonna enjoy it. And then you're gonna be really excited when the game shows up with the full color, art you know from christian and it's just a gorgeous looking game and it's going to be just really cool to have in your collections
0: so before we wrap all this up you guys are no strangers to kickstarter so how about a couple of lessons uh what would you point out to others coming up behind you that are deciding to use kickstarter for their games
1: i think i have one positive lesson and one sort of negative one. the first one i think is that just be even if things are going wrong be nice and be communicative. Just People just want to know what's going on. They want you to know that they want to know that you're listening. You may get the same question seven times through the Kickstarter message. Just answer it seven times. It's not that hard. I mean, I have a full-time job and Griffin obviously helps out, but I mean, it doesn't take that long to come home or sit at lunchtime and answer some questions. Be be on the boards, be on the messenger, messenger, be in the posts, be in the updates and be nice. Answer people. That's all they want. And my other one is kind of, that Ben and I have kind of been talking about this a lot lately, jokingly, but it's really true. It turns out that no one knows anything about anything. So no one can tell you what's going to be successful. No one can tell you what's going to go for 300,000 and what's going to limp over for 10,000. It just isn't an answer. If there was an answer, everyone would do 300,000. So if it's something that you're passionate about and you like it and it doesn't go that well, don't worry about it because it may still sell after the fact. Or even if you have to reboot and do the campaign again, Maybe it'll go better the second time. There are no hard and fast things and no one really knows what we want. We're, we're all just doing what we think is best and what we love and what we're, we're passionate about. Take your shot at it and go for it.
2: Yeah. And I think my really quick advice would be probably the pre Kickstarter prep work. You mentioned Richard Bliss and funding the dream. I was listening to him interview the Mice and Dice guys. And I think the one guy had like hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers or something from being on a reality show. Yep. It, it, and unfortunately for them, what they didn't realize is that. You have to market to your target audience. Like my wife teaches in, in college and, you know, marketing is one of our things so like finding your target audience is what it's all about. So even if I have a 100,000 people on my Twitter, you know, following, I, I can't sell them a card game if they're not gamers. So before you're on Kickstarter, I would say for Matt and I, this is one thing we did a year before we ever kickstarted we got in deep into the community you know you're at proto spiels you're at umpubs you're making friends you're on the boards like you're building a tribe of friends and colleagues and you know, build that following a year before because you want to market to your target audience. You don't want to just be on Facebook trying to get all your friends to buy your game because a couple are gonna, you know, just to be friendly, but you you don't know as many people as you think you do. And the 50 people that know you on Facebook and buy your game aren't going to get you to your goal. You got to get out there and find that, find the target audience, you know, build the tribe.
1: And be part of the community, like Ben said. I mean, it's going to sound whatever but there's nothing worse to me and you know, I, I occasionally write these little cropping roundup things on BGG, and I'm way more inclined to include someone's game that's part of the BGG community than someone that's got new user under his ID and he's on there trying to convince you to buy his game, and he's posting all he's posting constantly now because he has something to sell. Well, where were you three months ago when we were talking about the new Fell? You weren't there because you didn't know about BGG. Someone told you, "Hey, part of the Kickstarter process is go beyond BG. BGG." Well, that's not good enough for me. I want you to be involved. I want you to be part of. What we're all part of and i want you to i want to know that you care a little dumb as that might sound i just i'm i am much more inclined to pay attention to you if you're someone that i've seen or someone that I've, i'm familiar with you so just you know you want people to buy your product regardless but it helps to just know that they can say that they have that you're part of what they're part of people like to be part of a crowd part of a part of a tribe so be part of that tribe and then maybe i'm w- much more willing To support you
0: yeah i I don't think that sounds silly at all in fact that's probably some of the first things i cover with a few of my clients is okay are you involved here here and here and and when do you think you're launching and when are you really going to launch because if somebody comes to me and and has said well i want to launch next month and as soon as i start going over you know uh, are you involved in these Facebook groups? Have you helped out here? Or have you been on BGG? You know all of that kind of stuff. And if even fifty percent of that is no, I, I usually kind of go, okay, let's take a step back. Let's not launch next month. It's not going to hurt you not to, but let's start building your community. And that is a huge thing, like you said, your your tribe, your community is. You're not going to get that strictly off of Kickstarter. There's no way that you're going to throw up a project and be void everywhere else and just hope everybody comes. here. I mean, sure it can happen, but in a general sense, that's not going to happen. Kickstarter is not your marketing campaign by any stretch of the means. It's a small piece of it, but it's not the main way you're going to get backers by any means.
2: That's right. I couldn't agree more. Completely agree. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Even like, like Ben said with Twitter, I mean, we, we're pretty active on Twitter and obviously see you on there, Jeff. And we're a lot of our Twitter, you know, friends or other game designers and people we've met at various cons and things. And they're not all going to buy your, game. I mean, I wouldn't expect them to, and I'm not going to buy every one of their games either, but it's just, they have a thousand followers and they have 300 followers and that person's got, so it's just, it's a way to spread information quickly. So Twitter's a great place to, be because one guy that with a thousand followers reads you, another guy with 600 followers retweets you, and that's 1600 people you might not have reached otherwise. So, you know, just, Again, you can't get on there and expect after day one to be people retweeting your project. But if you're on there and you're active and people know you, they're, they're going to help you out because there are a bunch of great people that are all doing this and everyone that we meet almost to a man is fantastic. So just engage everybody,
0: become friends
1: and they're going to give you a hand.
0: Right. And you mentioned it and it's, it is a huge thing. Yeah. Not everybody's going to back your project for whatever reason. You never know why it is. I mean, the, the game might not appeal to them personally to, They they may have their finances wrapped up to a point where they can't back anything. You just never know what that reason is. But the least that they feel they can do, and if if you have been there in the community and you're part of them, they will gladly share that project with, like you said, their followers. And that is almost at times can be uh, more important than that one person backing because they can back and not tell anybody about it, or they can send it out like you said, they are a thousand followers and you get a few off of that. And of course, some of their followers may retweet it as well. So you kind of get that, you know, that ripple effect. They're willing to do that because they know you, they know you from the community. They know that you've been involved in the community and that you're not just, Hey, I like you said, Hey, I showed up today and here's my project. Where's my money.
1: Right. It's true for a guy like for you guys too, Jeff, like the podcasters. I mean, you're going to get endless, I'm sure you do get endless requests from guys you don't know, saying, hey, hey, put me on your podcast. Well, why would I? Because I don't know who you are. None of my listeners know who you are. So who who is this for? It's for you. And that's great, but I need something that might actually, people want to hear. And not that Ben and I are these two famous dudes that no one cares about, but you might know who we are because we're active. So you do these things and it's all just, it, it all just builds the same you know it's reputation. I mean, it's just a way to keep and it's fun too. I mean, you're not doing it just for business. You're doing it because it's fun. It's fun to talk to other game designers. It's fun to talk to other game players. It's fun to talk to other geeks. It just is. So you're doing it because you're having a good time doing it. And oh by the way, as a cursory effect, you might actually improve your own project down the road, or you might even, even if you're like like you said earlier, we kind of elude to the fact that we've both done these Kickstars, but we're going to have a couple games theoretically come out in traditional methods. So you're going to maybe they'll buy that game because like, hey, my pseudo-internet buddy design this. You tell your game group that, oh, that's cool, and they're going to play it, whatever. It's, it's all just, it's fun because we're all passionate about the same thing. It's just fun to talk about.
2: And, that's and, we're all, we do it. and We're all rooting for each other, too. That's the right. fun part. It's not like, I don't feel like, you know, if, you know, one of my friend designers sells 1500 games in that in any way prevents me from selling, you know, 1500 games. We're expanding the pie and everybody can succeed. And these people you meet at the unpub dinner, you know, uh, MVP board games, Michael Kelly and his buddy. I, I'm sorry. I can't remember his name. You know, hey, they signed with Van Ryder. Well, that's freaking awesome. I'm so excited for those guys, you know, cause we, you know, saw that game and you know, it's just a group of people all rooting for each other. And if you want to be a designer, you got to get in and just start hanging out and being cool to people. That's, that's what it's all about.
0: I got to say that that is one and that's one of the reasons why I even do what I do at all or why I'm still in this space is the the community. Everything boils down to community for me, but the community around the board gaming space is just amazing. It is very much there's not as much butting heads as you would think there would be. In the board game space, there's not like, oh, well, yeah, I got a game coming out too, you know, kind of thing. It's everybody is very helpful. I mean, even like you said, when you guys were talking with Chris from Dice Hate Me and and he couldn't sign the game, he was happy for you guys. So I love that community aspect that we get out of the game, the board gaming space.
1: Exactly. No, 100% true. And it's it's funny too with with Kickstarter because sometimes I I watch, you know, and I, I don't want to bring this up in a negative way, but like. You know, I got like, um, hold on. I'm going to totally, gosh darn, I knew I was going to do this. Voodoo Island.
0: Well, oh, is Josh Bricker. Josh. The flux capacity.
1: Yes. Nice guy has a couple of successful campaigns. Well, turns out Voodoo Island isn't doing all that great. And who knows why? Cause it looks like it might be a perfectly fine game. So, you know, you want to be. You know, you just, well, my point was, <laughs> bring that up, was like you said, not everything is going to, not everything you do or touch is going to go that well, but you're still just supportive and you help the guy, I hope, and, and maybe he'll make some tweaks and do it again. Next time it'll work better and or, just be supportive. I, that's all I'm trying to get at, I guess.
0: Voodoo Island is a great game, by the way. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> we actually did a preview video for it.
1: <laughs> I did. I saw that you did it. I didn't actually, I watched the, oh, I did watch it because it was on the Kickstarter page. Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: Me and my fiance did that one.
1: Oh, is that you guys? I didn't even realize that. That's yeah. funny. I didn't put that together at all. I didn't watch the whole thing. It's like 25 minutes long, right? Yeah. So, yeah, whatever. It's just one of those things. Like, I mean, and you couldn't tell me why Voodoo Island is slow or even my favorite example right now of games that I don't, I don't get is heavy steam. It should have made a million dollars. If you, if you were just, if you showed that project to me before it launched, I said, yep, there's a million bucks. It looks amazing. I mean, the art is awesome. The minis are crazy. It's either, it's green briar which i forget it's Zombicide or the Z or whatever I do yeah i don't do zombie games they are all the same to me so whichever one but it was a popular game and this game looks cool and maybe it isn't maybe the gameplay isn't any good but if you just showed it to me i said yep there's a million bucks and it's not it's struggling to fund well why i don't know and nobody knows and it's just the way it is and i wish i had a better answer but i hope those guys i hope it funds and it, it does well but like I said, no one really knows anything about anything. We're all just doing our best.
0: Yeah, I hope it funds too, because that was one of my draft picks. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> Which, by the way, Matt, you wanted to say something about the draft.
1: Picks. I did. Thank you, Jeff. So, hi, Sarah. I want to personally thank you for making Exit Empires your franchise pick. It was, I really think it was a smart play by you to put it out there right away because there's no way. Jeff Wood. I don't know if it would have been his franchise pick. He definitely got in there to steal the point. Now, I apologize that the cheaper games, we're not going to make a bajillion dollars, but you're going to get the points anyway because we're going to fund and we're going to have a ton of backers. So thank you, Sarah. Great choice.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it all came down to basically her going first. That
1: It was her week to go first. <laughs> yep.
0: All right. So uh, I've, kept you guys actually we've gone a little bit over but that's all right because you guys have been awesome to talk to i i uh, love talking all things board game and kickstarter with people so it's been great yeah, anytime man. but right now eggs and empire is on kickstarter it's just shy of its goal of ten thousand dollars we're so close uh last time i checked i think it was about 300 away So it is going until May 14th, though, 2014. So not an issue. This is definitely going to fund, and hopefully we'll be looking at some uh, stretch goals as well. But go check it out. And again, if you're not sure where to go, it's called Eggs and Empires. But you can always check the show notes because I will include a link there as well. All right, Ben, Matt, thank you guys for hanging out with me. It has been a blast. Thank
2: Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been great. Really enjoyed it. A lot of fun.
0: So, there you go. There's another interview for you guys, and I will be back soon with more conversation. Thanks for listening.